church. I'm not that tall. Good morning. Welcome, everyone, to Faith Bob Fellowship Church. We are so glad you were able to make it out this morning, despite the weather, and worship with us this morning. We're going to be in finishing our study in the book of 1 John. We started this book seven months ago, back in September. And so we've just been making our way through that. And our prayer here is that you've grown through this time, that you've been edified, that you've been convicted, that you've been challenged as we walk through the first epistle of John here. And so we're going to be closing. We're finally dissenting. And we started that two weeks ago with Pastor West when he opened up this last little section that's known as that you may know section here. When he looked at verses 13 through 17, and we talked about two main things last two weeks ago. That is that we can know that we have the gift of eternal life and that we can have confidence and we can know that God answers our prayer if we pray according to his will. And we're going to be following pretty much that same thing when we look at the last four verses here in 1 John when we go through 18 through 21. We're going to see three main things that John says that we as believers, as those who are children of God, can know and stand on and and build our faith on. So that's what we're going to be doing today, looking at verses 18 through 21. Really, the main idea, if there's anything I want you to leave with today, is this, is that those who are born of God do not persist in sin because they are protected by Jesus, they belong to God, and they know that Jesus is the true God. Once again, the main idea, those who are born of God do not persist in sin because they are protected by Jesus, they belong to God, and they know that Jesus is the true God. And as I said, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. So if you can open up your Bibles and turn with me there. If you don't have a Bible, in one of the seats in front of you, you will find a pew Bible in there. We're going to be in page 1024. And if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take that with you. That is our gift to you. You can take that home, mark it up, use it, study it. But that is our gift to you if you don't have a Bible at home. But if you are at 1 John 5.18, this is what the Apostle John writes. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne and we realize that you are the God. You are the creator of everything, Lord, that you are in control. You are sovereign over everything, Father. The rain comes because you allow it to come. You say it for it to come, Father. So we ask that you're here with us today as we dive into your scripture, as we dive into your words, and we spend the next several moments looking and what your word has to tell us, Father. It may be a time of growth. maybe a time of edification, Father. May we be challenged by it, Father. May we leave today different than the people we walked in, closer to you, understanding your word a little bit better, Father. Help me, Lord. Help me to recall everything that you've, that you've put on my heart, everything that I've studied this week, Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart of my heart be edifying to you and to this congregation, Lord. We pray this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen. 
First point, those who are truly born of God do not keep on sinning because Jesus protects them from the evil one. And we get this in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. He who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And as I like to do, I just want to point out really quick what, what this verse isn't saying. Because oftentimes what we have is throughout church history, people will take just this one verse, and they'll build their whole theology, their whole belief off this believing that this says that we can, pers- we can gain perfectness, we can gain righteousness by not sinning anymore. And those will, will, they'll teach that the Christian can, in fact, no longer sin. And we know that's not true. But that's the problem, that if you build your whole theology, if you build your whole doctrine off one verse alone, oftentimes that's what leads to heresy. That's what leads to false teaching. So we look at the whole counsel of God. We look at what God says in all of his word. We look at the verse in its context, at the verses surrounding it, at the whole book, at everything that we see in the Bible, and that's what we gain our theology off. Not just one verse, because if you were to just go back two verses here at verse 16, what John writes is that if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. The assumption there that, that we have brothers and sisters who are in sin, who are sinning, and John says pray for them, intercede for them, pray that God will deliver them from their sin. So it's not that we can achieve perfection. It's not that we don't sin anymore. If you were to go back to the first chapter here in 1 John, verses 8 through 10, John writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we know that's not what John is saying. He's not saying that as Christians we can get to the point where we're living perfect lives and we're no longer sinning. It's not what John is talking about, really. He's not talking about a perfectness to our life, but that we should have, a, as Danny Aiken puts it, a purity to our lives, that we should be striving towards becoming more and more like Christ. Not that we will be pure, but not that we will be perfect, but that there is a purity to our lives that we're striving to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's not that we obtain perfection. It's that we're working towards something. He says, they do not persist in sin. They don't make sinning a practice. That's the picture that we see here in 1 John 5.18. It's that the Christian does not make sinning something that's consistent in their life, something that they're happy with, that they're content with. They don't continue to sin. They recognize sin. They see it for what it's worth. And because they've been made new, because they are a new creation, as we see in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul writes, therefore, if anyone was in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So we understand that we've now been given a new identity, that we've been made new, and so we no longer persist in sin. We don't keep sinning. We don't, we're not bothered by it. We, we think it's okay. John is saying the opposite. Those who are truly born of God, they can't stand sin in their life. They recognize it, and they work towards dying to their sin. That is what it means to be transformed, is that we no longer, that sin no longer has power over us, that we're not enslaved to sin, that we have the means through Jesus Christ to overcome sin and to break patterns of sin in our life. If we're not working towards breaking patterns of sin, if we're not working towards becoming more and more like Christ, then I'm worried for the Christian who's content with the sin in their life, who's not bothered by it. 
We are called to break patterns of sin. We do that because we understand that we've been given a new creation. We've been given a new identity and that we are being sanctified. We understand that what the process of sanctification is. That is the Holy Spirit working in us. It's a progressive work. It's not something that we achieve at our point of conversion, but that continues. Our Our sanctification continues through our life. It's a progressive work of the Holy Spirit. That conforms the whole believer to the image of Christ. It's not something that we've obtained, but it's something that we're working towards. And because we're being sanctified, because we're made a new creation, we now detest our sin. We're not okay with it. We work, we pray, we repent, we come around other believers and we ask God to help us in our battles with sin. We're not just okay with it. We don't just sit there and say, all right, I'm a sinner. Oh, well, there's nothing else what John is saying here when he says, therefore we know that those who have been born of God do not keep on sinning is that the Christian is not marked by sin. They no longer make it a practice in their life. They're not content with it. Why is that? Why is this possible? It's not that we have been given some type of strength, some type of power to do that because we have, as we see at the end of verse 18, the protection of of the one who's born of God. 18b, but he who is born of God, that's Jesus, not us, protects him. That is us. And the evil one does not touch him. To have the protection of Jesus means that, that Jesus is watching over us. He's guarding our lives. He's the one who's preserving us, not ourselves. Not, not that we do anything right. It's that Jesus Christ is the one who's giving us the protection. He's the one who's guarding us. He's the one who's preserving us. And it says that the evil one does not touch him. John means by touch him is that the evil one does not does not hurt us. He does not get we don't fall into the grasp of the evil one. We're not going to be overcome by Satan and his ways. We're not going to be overwhelmed by Satan and his ways because we have the protection of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's the picture here. That we will no longer be overcome, that we're no longer in the grasp of Satan. He may touch us, he may tempt us, he may throw things our way to try to get us to sin. But we know that we're no longer marked by sin, we're no longer enslaved to sin. And so we have the protection of Jesus Christ where Satan, we don't fall into his hands. He's not going to harm us. We are preserved by the work of Jesus Christ. Now just because we have this protection does not mean that we get to just go about our lives living recklessly. Right, That we get to just do whatever we want. That we don't have to work out our faith. We understand that Paul says in Philippians 3.20 that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That we are still called to pursue holiness, to pursue righteousness. We are still called to hold true to God's word, to be unstained from the world. That's what we see in James 1.27. We're, we're called to pursue pureness in 1 Timothy 5.22. We see all throughout the scriptures that we're called to meditate on God's word day and night. It's not that we now, because we have this protection, that we can just watch whatever we want to watch. That we can just do whatever we want to do. That we can just consume whatever we want. We are still called to stay within the bounds of God's word. We are to keep his ways and commandments as it says in 1 John 3.22. But we do this joyfully because we understand that we have the protection of Jesus Christ over us. He's guarding us he's preserving us and we don't fall to the ways of the evil one because we're not he's not we don't fall into his grasp and why do we have this protection why do is jesus protecting us 
It's because we belong to him. And that leads me to my second point, that we simply put, we belong to God. Look at verse 19. We know that we are from God and the world, whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We are from God. We are of God. We belong to God is the picture here. The NIV says that we are children of God. Listen here, if you put your faith, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you belong to God. And what we see John here is talking about is either either or. You either belong to God or you lie in the power of the evil one. There's no in between. There's no neutrality. You can't have one foot in one door and one foot in the other. There is no hallway to just stand in the middle. You either belong to God or you lie in the power of the evil one. We see that all throughout the scriptures. Jesus in Matthew 6, 24 says what? You cannot serve two masters. You're either in God or you're in the evil one. There is no in between. So what does it mean for us to belong to God? means that we don't belong to this world, that we are strangers and aliens to this world. As it says in 1 Peter 1, 1, that we are exiles. We are aliens to this world. We are sojourners. This is not our home, and we understand that. The writer of Hebrews, when he's writing in chapter 11 about the heroes of the faith and, and all the men and women of the heroes of the faith, what does he says in Hebrews eleven thirteen? He calls them strangers and exiles on earth. That is what it means to belong to God, that, that we are strangers and exiles to this world and that this world will hate us. It will hate Christians. We see that in John 15, 19, when Jesus says, if, we, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you don't think that's true, just turn on the news and you will see, you will see biblical value, biblical morals being attacked by the world today. Christian universities and Christian institutions being attacked for their belief on, to stand on moral grounds of the Bible. You will see that there's churches being closed, being told to close down and building fences around churches so that people can't come in. We're told if we believe in the values and the morals that we see in the Bible, then we are out of date. And that we need to be, be reined in, in essence. But we realize that our citizenship is in heaven, that we belong to God, and we're not concerned with the ways of the world because we know who we belong to. We know where our allegiance lies with. And the world would hate us for that. Again, Jesus in John 17, 14 says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We don't belong to the world. And John is saying you're either in God or you're in control. You're being swayed by the evil one. What does this mean to lie, as it says here at the end of verse 19, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one? They are enslaved to Satan. They're, 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 it's this, this idea of lying in the power of the evil one. It's this passiveness that's going on to the whole world. That they're not aware of it. They're, that they're not aware of it or they're, or they're comfortable with being in the grasp of the evil one. They are under the control of the evil one. Or they are being swayed by the evil one, as the Holmes Christian Standard Bible says. And they really, they can't put up a fight. They're doing that willingness. This idea of they lie in the power of the evil one, they're doing this unconsciously. They're not aware of the world around them. We all know heavy sleepers in our lives. I'm one of them. My wife would attest to that. I, when we first started having kids, I, it, you can put the monitor next to my ear. I'm not waking up. 
No matter how hard she pushed me, I'll have to get pushed off the bed to be woken up. I'm not aware of what's going on when I'm asleep. And that's the imagery here, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil. And they're not aware of it. They're not aware of how evil they are, of how wrong they are. They're, it's just unconsciously. They're not putting on a fight. But we see, David Allen notes, that those who live under the power of the Satan are lulled to sleep. On that condition. They are spiritually apathetic. They are spiritually asleep. They are spiritually blind. And they are spiritually dead. That's what it means to lie in the power of the evil one. And we see that John says you're either that way or you belong to God. You are of God. You are from God. Earlier I talked about how how Jesus' protection over us means that, that Satan will never grasp us. Will never fall into his hands. Well the opposite is true here of the whole world. They are fully in the grasp of the evil one. And they are unaware of that. And the only way that those who lie in the power of the evil one can come out of their spiritual sleep in essence is for the Son of God to pull them out of it. Nothing else. We can't do anything. It has to be the work of Jesus Christ in their lives that pulls them out of their spiritual sleep, of their spiritual death. that leads me to my third and final point here. That we know that Jesus is the true God. We know that Jesus is the true God. You see this in verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. There's a lot going on here in verse 20. So we're just going to kind of make our way through that. And he says, and he starts, and we know that the Son of God has come. Just right there. By John simply saying that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he's affirming the full divinity of Jesus. He's saying that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And that's important to our theology. That's important that we understand that. That Jesus Christ came as fully man and fully God and lived on this earth. Lived the life that we couldn't live. Died the death that was ours and was raised again and ascended into heaven. And that is only because he is fully God and fully man. He says he has come. He came in bodily form. He's affirming there the incarnation of Jesus Christ and the importance of him coming. And being born of the virgin birth. That is important to us. We, we understand the importance of that. And that's what John here is affirming. That he is the true son of God. And what does Jesus come in, and by him coming, what does he do? So, so that we, he has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. That it's only because of the fact that Jesus came down that we can even know and acknowledge who God is. That we have the power, the capacity to acknowledge God as God the Father. Without Jesus coming, we can't do that. We can acknowledge God the Father for who he is. Jesus in Luke ten twenty two says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That is, the work of Christ come, and it's through his teaching. 
It's through him coming, living life, and giving us teaching that we are finally able to understand who God the Father is. That is why we can have these, these, these conversations, that we can know God, that we can pray. It's because of the work of Christ coming and giving us understanding. That is the only reason that we're able to, at our point of conversion, even acknowledge God for who he was and acknowledge that his son truly did come and died for our sins. It is because God, it is Jesus the one who gives us that understanding. He says he has given us understanding. It's important to note here that, that this verb here that gets translated, he has given, it's in what, what the Greek was called the perfect tense. And what, what Smalley says, it, it describes the ongoing result of an action that has already taken place. So not only did by Jesus coming do we gain the knowledge, do we are able to say at our conversion that we believe in God and we believe in the work of his, of his son, and that's what we put our faith, that's what we put our trust in. But him giving us understanding, it's something that continues to happen. It's not something that just happened at the point of our conversion, but that we get to grow in maturity because of Jesus coming and giving us understanding. And we know that he does this through the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. So this understanding, this, this ability to know who God is, it is through Jesus coming, and it's through him being the, the Son of God. And it's only because he came, and that we know that he's the Son of God, that we belong to God, and that we have the protection of Jesus over our lives, that we can say here, foolhardy, that we don't have to keep on sinning, that we can fight sin, we can put up a battle, and hate sin for what it is, and make war against sin, because we know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We understand that it's through him coming. Look at the rest of verse 20. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. The only reason we can know him who is true, that he's talking about God there, who know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. We are in God because of his son, Jesus Christ. Because we are in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we can know who God the Father is. And we can have this union with him. It's because we are in the son, Jesus Christ. And we see here this verb that we may know him who is true. And it's in a different form. It's in, it's in a different form than the rest of the knows that we see here. We look at verse 18 and it says, and we know. Eight, 19 says we know. And then 20 says, and we know. And those knows, they're speaking to facts. Those are things that we can know for sure that Jesus Christ came, that we belong to God, that he's given us protection. But the know here that we see in the middle of verse 20, that we may know him who is true. It points more to an intimate knowledge. It points to, to, to more having a personal union with God. And the reason we can have a personal union with God, the reason that we can know him and have this relationship with God is because Jesus Christ came and has given us that understanding. And that understanding continues to this day and will continue throughout all of the rest of our lives. We can build on that. We can build on our relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ came and what he did. Closes verse 20 and says, he is the true God in eternal life. Now, there is some debate whether John is talking about God there or if he's talking about Jesus. And I would lean towards that he's talking about Jesus there. One of the reasons that that's the closest antecedent there when he says, and in his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. 
I think we see the other true times that, that John uses verse true here in this verse. He's talking about God, and I don't think he's going to be repetitive. So I lean that he's there talking about Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the true God and eternal life. And so that's who God is. He is the true God. And it's because of the work of Jesus coming, living the life that we can't live, dying on the cross as we, and, and raising again as we celebrated that last, year, last week, that we can be in God and we can belong to God because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. And because of that, now we have, as believers, the protection of Jesus over our lives. Where we don't have to keep on sinning. Where we can break patterns of sin. And John just doesn't end there. He says in verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idol. Once again here, John is saying, keep yourselves from idol. This is something that you can do, that you need to be working on. Just because you have the protection of Jesus, just because you belong to God, doesn't mean that you're all done. That we are to keep ourselves from idol. That is something active that we are to be doing in our daily lives. As Joey Vernon McGee says, anything that stands between Christ and the believer, that is an idol. Right? We, we think of idols here and we think of, of the things of, of, of John's time, of the statues that they would go and pray to, of the statues that they would go and, and give offerings to. But we don't have idols like that today, do we? No. Sometimes the idols in our lives are those people sitting right next to us in these seats. It could be our family. It can be our children. It can be the job that we have that allows us to keep the lifestyle that we like, that allows us to have the car that we like, that allows us to have the home that we like. If we're not keeping a proper perspective on things in our lives, they can become idols. John MacArthur says, anything that people elevate above God is an idol to the heart. So what is elevating? What, what is taking God's place in your heart? We can make idols out of anything. That is why John Calvin says that man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. We will make idols out of anything. Things that are meant for good. Things that are meant for blessing. If we don't keep a proper perspective in our hearts, those things can turn into idols. Like I said, our family, our jobs... If you're not keeping a proper perspective, even your church can become an idol. If you're not spending time with God, if you're placing that above God in your heart, things meant for blessings can become idols if we're not actively working in our lives to to break those patterns. Our children, their families, anything can become an idol. And so guard your hearts. Be active in keeping yourselves from idols. Be active in making sure that you're pursuing after God, that you're diving into the word, that you're studying God's word, that you're turning to him, that you're spending time in prayer. If not, then you can turn these things into idols. And, and if, you're not, if you're content with the sin in your life, then, then as I said earlier, I'm worried for the Christian who's not bothered by the sin in their lives who's okay with living in their sin, living in their filth. In closing today, I want to just take some time to address the person who may be here or the person who may be listening who's not a believer, who hasn't put their trust in Jesus Christ. And my question to you is, 
What idols are you keeping in your life? What things do you have in your life that you are placing above God? Everything that I talked about today is offered to you. If you simply put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you will also have the protection of Jesus Christ. You will also belong to God. You also know him for who he is. But you've got to be able to give up those things in your life that you're holding on to. You've got to be able to give up the sin in your life, the things that you think are good, the things that make you feel good, or even if it's just for a little bit. Understand that Jesus Christ came and he died for the sins of the elect. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus came to give and give life abundantly. That's what he says in John 10.10. So you can turn and put your trust in the work of Jesus Christ today, and then you will be at peace with God today. But that's only by putting your trust in the work of Christ. It's only by recognizing that Christ came, He lived the life that you can't live. He did the things that you can't do. And he died the death that you deserved, non-believer. The death that was rightfully yours. He took our sins, your sins. They were laid on his shoulder. And that is why he hung there. And then the second, what happens is now the righteousness of Christ gets put on you. So put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you have any questions about what that means, what that looks like. Talk to me, talk to Pastor West, or talk to anyone you've seen up here today. We would love to talk to you what it means about putting your trust in Jesus Christ and living for him and his ways. To the believer, what sin are you holding on to? What sin are you holding on to? What does it look like for the church today to live according to these truths, to walk out these truths, to believe that we have the protection of Jesus Christ who keeps the evil one from touching us, from grabbing a hold of us? What does that look like for the church to live the fact that we know that we belong to God and that we are exiles to this world, that we're not enslaved to this world? That affects the way we do life with one another. That affects the way the things that we choose to do in our lives. The things that we make important in our lives. We're called to live out our faith with fear and trembling. You can't do that if you have sin in your life that you haven't repented of. you got sin in your life that you're trying to hold on to. You're not trying to give that up. But we're called to walk and live according to the ways of God. So what does it look like for the church to do that? We do life together. If you're living in sin and you got sin that you're not repentant of, please repent first. Turn to God. Put your trust in him. And then turn to other believers and ask them to hold you accountable. Pray and be in God's word. We are to come and we are to lift one another up. We can't lift one another up. We can't do life and encourage one another and build each other up if we're holding on to our sin. So what sin are you holding on to? What do you need to repent of today? And, and realize that we are to live as a community. And if the church fully believes these things, if we believe these things in our hearts, that we are belong to God, that we are to not persist in sin, that we are protected by Jesus, and that he is the true son of God, that affects the way we do life with ourselves, with our family, and with our church family.
So it's simple. What are you holding on to that you need to give over to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we know the truths of scriptures. Father, times we oftentimes we've read them time and time again. But we oftentimes do not walk according to your ways, or walk according to your scriptures, Father. And so we ask that you give us the strength, Lord, to lean on your ways, to lean on your understanding, Lord. The wisdom to know when it's time to put down the TV remote or put down the game console and spend time in your word, spend time praying, Father. Lord, help us to live according to the ways that you called us, Father. To stand on the truths of the scriptures that we belong to you and to no one else. And that is where allegiance lies, Father. God, be with us today as we, as we go about the rest of this day. As, as we look to just spend this Lord's day with you, with other saints, Father. May you bless the conversation that we have with our, with, our, with our family, with our friends in Christ, Father. May we just spend more time today, Lord, as we don't have anything else to do, Lord. Praying, reading your scriptures, conforming to your son's image, Father. Be with us. Keep us safe, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please stand.